0: Hello and welcome to the 2019 Spread the Word podcast. In the three episodes of this series, we speak to the winner and two highly commended authors of the 2018 London Short Story Prize, which aims to find the best short stories from emerging writers in the capital. In this episode, you'll hear Lauren Back's interview with Guy Ware, His story, The Year of Peace, won last year's London Short Story Prize.
1: My name is Lauren Bach. I'm here with Guy Ware, who is the first place winner of the London Short Story Prize for his story called The Year of Peace. So, The Year of Peace follows a relationship between a man and a woman who only meet a few times every year. All right, well, welcome again. Um, and congratulations on Thank you. winning the London Short Story Prize. That's mm. quite the feat.
0: It is, yeah. I'm really pleased.
1: One of the questions that I was really wondering is what gave you the inspiration to write it in the first place?
0: Um, I, there's usually a couple of things behind a story. There's a very clear um, spark for this one which was uh, another book, is often the way, uh, a guy called Ian Cobain's book called The History Thieves, mm-hmm. um, which is a... Uh, he's a journalist, investigative journalist, and it's a book about kind of obsessive British state secrecy and um, things that they, the world doesn't get to find out about too often, one of which was a war I'd never heard of because nobody else had really <laughs> heard of it very much, part, obviously, from the people um, who lived in Dauphar in... Um, southern imam where it went on for years without uh, the UK government ever admitting wow. that that's what we were doing Yep. Um, and so that was quite an interesting uh, kind of prompt and, and including what became the title of the story, The Year of Peace the, right in the middle of that in 1968 was this little snippet about how um, there's this mythology mm-hmm. amongst the British army um, that that was the only year in the whole of the 20th century, in which they weren't on active operations somewhere in the world. And it turns out they were, they just weren't admitting it. Right.
1: Um,
0: So that was the kind of starting point. There's lots of history crammed in there, and part Mm -hmm. of the the, the challenge of writing this story was kind of writing history in a way that was still a story. Um, So I wanted to make it more anonymous, make it more generic, if you like, um, because in part it's also about, you know, that, that colonial kind of backstory yeah. applies to an awful lot of countries in the world that Britain frequently you know invaded and didn't leave for a, quite a long time um, so I wanted to keep that um, non-specific but also to keep although it's you know you don't have to read very far between the lines but not to be too specific about the um, the faith, the race, the um, nationality, um particularly of the woman involved right um, just because it helps with that that constant wrong footing, and hopefully the reader gets some of that as well as the as the male protagonist,
1: right, and especially the part where they're sitting in the restaurant mm-hmm. on their date, kind of talking about everything that they know of their home countries and the fact that it's set in London, mm-hmm. do you think that holds a lot of significance to other Londoners as well?
0: Um, well, Londoners of different kinds, of course, because you know London is the the classic metropolis of the um, of the yeah. um, of the empire. Um, so it's home to. All kinds of people from all over the world and you know increasingly so and Mm -hmm. so that kind of finding out how you get along with other people whose backgrounds you don't know is obviously not exclusive to London but it's very familiar I hope to uh, to people who live here.
1: Yes and definitely very timely. So uh, we could do a reading now since perfect timing.
0: Okay. Perhaps just a bit of orientation for your listeners. Um, if it isn't obvious from what we've already said, uh, the setup here is the male character has written a book about the history um, of uh, of a country unnamed, in which there was a coup fifty years ago um, that was sponsored by uh, by the British. Uh, he's written a book about it, um, and he's at a launch party, publisher's launch party for the book. Um, and uh, our female protagonist, uh, when he gets to the end of the reading, is where I'm going to pick up the story. Uh, So she stepped up to the table and said, I'm only here because of that coup, here in London. That too, she said. Her father, like his father, had worked for the old sultan, But unlike his father, hers had stayed loyal and followed him into exile or retirement here, helped him settle here, and when the Sultan died, she said, two years later, he stayed because he'd met a woman, my mother, and there you have it, I am here. She smiled, and he, not knowing what else to say, asked if she would like him to sign her copy of the book, and she said yes and told him her name for the dedication. She knew his, of course, and had no need to ask for his phone number, but did so anyway, and they met again for a drink although she did not drink, and then dinner. Yes, she said, don't worry, I do eat.
1: Okay, so at the end, he ends up hoping for something. Um, Is there a reason that he does end up having these positive feelings looking back?
0: Well, he's... There's a line in it, and this this story came more easily than many of my stories do, and I found it kind of grew quite quickly. Um, and there's a line in it that took me by surprise for a moment, and then I thought, no, that makes sense of what this story is about, when because um, they meet up after their first date you know they meet up four or five times a year but never more right. um, and always because she instigates it she rings him up and says "You know, come and have dinner tonight um, so he never knows apart from the the anniversary day he never knows when it's going to happen but but that it will every few months um, and that could be really frustrating and um, you know challenging and you might think oh god why would anybody put up with it um, mm-hmm. But almost to his own surprise, he realises that that's perfect, that he really likes that. Uh, and the word perfect, as I say, he just kind of dropped in to yeah. the story. Um, because, in a way, it's also a bit of a male fantasy, you know, that you can have this, you know, relationship with a woman who he obviously finds right. very beautiful and very attractive, um, that's surprising and, you know, but it doesn't have any of the domesticity um, involved in it. So yeah, no, he may not see her for several months at a time, but then he does, and you know, he suddenly discovers that that's actually what he really, really likes. Mm. Until, and uh, I don't know how far I can go without <laughs> ruining the end, but uh, until that doesn't happen anymore, uh, and then he's left wondering, was that what he wanted, or didn't want, or you know, did he want something more out of it?
1: Right, and almost wondering if he could go back and change it. Mm. Would things have ended differently for both of them?
0: Yeah, and also being forced to think about the other people in her life and, you know, relatives, family, whatever, Mm. um, and wondering, you know, does he have the grace to hope that, you know, that she had a, um, you know, a happy life that he didn't know about because he wasn't part of it? um, Or is he jealous of that? And... uh, you know, kind of wrestling with that.
1: Right. Now, I took away from that that the title, The Year of Peace, is actually quite ironic. hmm Because even in these times of colonialism, people called it a year of peace, but was it really? Because it's a year of peace from the perspective of the people in power.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, although, of course, you know, 1968, you know, one hand hippies were having a great time that is true um on the other hand you know not only post-colonial wars in um horn of africa but you know it was the prague spring it was the assassination of bobby kennedy it was all kinds of things um it was a pretty tumultuous year yeah um and yeah as you say it depends an awful lot on which end of the telescope you're looking at each of those events um Offensive and you know, wasn't exactly peaceful, was it? Right. Um, so, there was, you know, obviously a very traumatic year. And one of the things that I find fascinating, apart from being old enough to vaguely remember some of this stuff, um, is the way we kind of look back and um, mythologize
1: mm. various periods and, right. and
0: romanticize them. Yes. So, you know, is people's first image of 1968 Sergeant Pepper or is it the Vietnam War or whatever? And a lot will depend on, you know, your own personal history and your politics and whatever.
1: Yeah, it's Uh. funny because when I was growing up, I always thought of the late 60s, early 70s as Woodstock and the hippies. And Mm -hmm. the older I get, the more I realise how messed
0: up everything was. Well, yeah, and serious insurrection even, you know, know, outside of Vietnam, but, you know, in the US and in France in particular, but you know, Czechoslovakia was having its own problems um, and so on and so on and so on. Um, And these things are you know, they're always there. Those struggles are always going Mm -hmm. on in one way or another. And, as I say, part of the, the origin of the story being a book about how histories get you know hidden and and obscured um, you know part of that is you know the more kind of conspiracy theory end which this particular war is in you know it was a war that the british government never never admitted it was having um harold wilson was prime minister for quite a, during quite a lot of it he wrote his own memoir of his time in government he didn't even mention this war mm. um you know, even crazy. when he was writing his memoirs I and mean, it's bizarre um so it's completely kind of written out of the record, but presumably not if you come from Amman. Um You know, so there's that kind of end of actual suppression, but there's also the what do you choose to focus on? And you know, is it the the music and the peace and love and the festivals, or you know, um, is it the struggle for equal pay in Dagenham, or you know, whatever? And at different times, um, different things come forward.
1: Right, and I love the parallel between that quote-unquote year of peace and the year of peace that this relationship is supposedly going through with Mm. her only reaching out and him surprisingly liking it even though he may not have actually liked it It's, it's an interesting parallel between what seems to be something good and something nice and what we actually just romanticize
0: yeah And, again, without the spoilers, there is a a different form of peace at the end. Um, Yeah. That's to uh, where it gets to.
1: That is true. That is very true. Okay, shall we have another reading?
0: She paused long enough to let him know she was choosing whether to be distracted, to let him down gently, then said she'd lived in the States, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for a few years. Studying, he asked... And she agreed, yes, a master's that turned into a PhD. But along the way, I got involved in Obama 2008 and spent a couple of years in Washington, and he wondered, not for the first time, what she was doing here at all with him, but asked why she'd come back here to London. And after a moment, she said, to get married which luckily, she said, while he still had his fork raised, having just taken a mouthful of fish, which allowed him to pretend a bone had caught in his throat, necessitating several coughs and sips of water and the ingestion of a wholly unnecessary pallet of bread, before he said, And what does your husband do? And she threw back her head and laughed like a drain, not like a drain, like nothing he had ever heard.
1: We also need to talk about the format of Mm -hmm. the short story. It kind of has this... Ulysses esque stream of consciousness, no punctuation style to it, mm-hmm. and that was obviously quite intentional.
0: Yeah, but it's not just because I can't punctuate. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, can you explain why you chose to write it in that style?
0: Um, it this is going to sound terribly trite, but it came out that way. It started. Yeah, you know, I've written a lot of stories. And most of them have full stops in them, um, but it came as a bit of a blurt and it seemed to work because one of the one of the things about the um the protagonist uh is that he's kind of deeply unsure of himself in many ways and is kind of sort of slightly on edge and slightly nervous about things and out this sort of stream of consciousness came in which he keeps sort of wrong footing himself right um and it kind of fitted I thought quite well with the um you know what the story is about, which is about hiding things, yeah. and you know that that is a, where I started that kind of history that nobody knows about, and right. in this case, in sort of personal life for people who don't know about
1: and there's this point in the end that really struck me, and I'll say it without giving anything away, but it's the very last part, and he's has this kind of inner monologue with himself, he hopes he doesn't hope mm. he hopes, and he keeps going back and forth, yeah. And the way it jumps across the page and hits you is kind of really jarring, in a sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Good, because yep. I, I, th- there's there are parts of it not I hope not overdone, but key parts of the story where the layout. I mean, it's you know it would be familiar in a poem. It's not familiar in a story, mm-hmm. um, but just kind of using the uh, the kind of shape of the text on the page and gaps within lines and so on um to emphasize exactly that it's that kind of thought process right um in the in the guy's mind
1: and that so you've published two novels Mm -hmm. and written three right
0: yep just finished draft four of number four but that's got a long way to go
1: yeah so do you have a preference over novels versus short stories do you find more freedom in one
0: um I, they're, they're different. They're, they're different types of work in a way. I don't just mean as kind of physical products, but the way I go about the work. So I wrote a lot of short stories when I started writing seriously um, in the way I think quite a lot of people do. Right. You know, partly prompted by creative writing course at Goldsmiths, um, which got me into that. Um, and then wrote a novel, it's much more time-consuming, almost obviously, Yeah. and I now find I, I want to go back and write short stories in breaks. Just not exactly as relaxation, but it's kind of, um, writing a novel takes a very long time, and I kind of crave the getting to the end of things, you know, getting something <laughs> yeah, finished, getting, getting something I can put out and submit to competitions or you know, right, whatever right. I'm going to do with it. Yeah. Um, and I just need that kind of sense of I'm actually completing something from time to time.
1: Right. Which
0: uh, takes, as I said, a matter of years with novels and uh, hopefully not that long on a short story.
1: <laughs> you mentioned a minute ago that this story was a lot easier to write than most other things. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there a reason it happened so quickly?
0: Um, it, it didn't, you know, it, it's, I'm not Samuel Taylor Coleridge. It didn't kind of come to me in a dream and write it <laughs> out um, until a knock on the door stopped it. Um, but it did come relatively easily, and then details started to drop into place, and I could, I could see uh, where it was going. Um, kind of luck, I think, and also the um, part of the point of the story is that kind of wrong-footing him being wrong-footed or Mm -hmm. wrong-footing himself and that partly mirrors the way way things get written, you know, an idea will pop into your head by kind of, into my head anyway, um, by kind of word association or thought association and half the time the job of writing is to kind of cut it all out because it's taking you off on a relevant direction but here it it kind of seemed to work quite quickly and things that struck me like I was saying about the um, the kind of you know intermittent relationship suddenly striking him as perfect right it's that kind of yeah yeah it is you know from one one view and that happened a number of times and it just made the the structure of the story come fairly easily
1: so what advice would you give to someone who is maybe a new writer, has the urge to write, um, but doesn't know maybe where to start?
0: Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> um, write is, is the only advice. Um, right. Don't take advice from other writers, <laughs> because it's, on the whole... Just don't uh,
1: listen to anything you say. Y-
0: you don't listen to what I'm about to say. No, I mean, obviously that's facetious, but... Um, there's an awful lot of twaddle written and said about kind of rules of writing um and you take from them you know mm-hmm. things that you find useful and feel entirely free to you know ignore uh stroke satirize anything that you think is preposterous um because the the short answer is that people don't know um obviously you can get better and, but you do that by writing and listening to what people say about what you write um, it does help it is painful but it does help to have other people read what you write who are not directly related to you mm. um because you can't really trust anything that the people who are directly related <laughs> to you say that's true um, don't ask your mom <laughs> um you know for 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 obvious reasons um read is the other thing that all writers say when asked this question but it's it is true you can't um yeah, you know he he can't underplay you know read and read and read and read and read um, and a few I find there are writers whose style is so strong it bleeds into what I'm writing um, for really? a while oh yeah and then you have to go back and make sure that you've cut it all out again and it can be very different people but just people with very strong Signature styles. So, while reading all the time, do be aware that the reason you're doing that is to find out how things work, um, not to uh, yeah. And writing pastiche is a good exercise, you know. That's really yeah. really good, but don't mistake it for anything else. Um,
1: is there anything that's on your reading list right now? Are you reading anything that's really impacting you?
0: Oh, another tricky question. Um, I'm. What have I been... I, I, I knew I was going to get asked something like this, so I had a look at things I've been reading recently. Um, I'm in the middle of Anthony Pohl at the moment, which is deeply unfashionable. It's a kind of guilty pleasure in a way. It's sort of, you know, uh, pre-war, upper-class uh, people in a kind of, not quite Woodhousian world, but yep. but very, very um, far removed from uh, from where we are now. Um some of the things I've just been reading recently very different um I loved Anna Burns I that was a tremendous book um some of my older favorites there's a writer who isn't terribly fashionable here richard ford okay american um he's not you know okay. very well known in this country and I think he probably ought to be because he's uh is just a man of enormous wisdom and incredibly good sentences um
1: Enormous
0: wisdom and incredibly good sentences. Matthias Einard, I'll give you another one. Uh, Again, for people who like stories, uh, big fat books with not much punctuation, he wrote a book which is sometimes described as a 570-page novel in one sentence. Oh, wow. Um, It isn't, in fact, because it's got some inserts in it. It's got some little chapters put in that are normally punctuated. Hmm. Um, But it's called Zone. Um, And that I will press upon people um, it is a tremendous, tremendous novel, and it's uh, it's a kind of Iliad for our days, well, about kind of Zone. war and uh, what's been going on all around the Mediterranean and the, what we used to call the Near East.
1: Right. So you've been writing a lot recently. Mm-hm. Uh, is there a certain routine that you follow?
0: Uh, no. Um, one of those, the question you asked before about um, advice for writers one of the most common is write every day um, and people get very precious about it and um, I've never been able to <laughs> partly because I have a job um, I'm lucky enough now to work part-time um, but I do have a job and I do have a family and you know, yeah. one of the reasons I started part-time working part-time was because I had very small children in those days um, you know, so, the reality is, I certainly do not write every day, and I have stopped feeling guilty about it some <laughs> years back. Um, but what I do, I think I write relatively fast when, just again, by comparison with the things that other writers say when asked these questions, when I do have time, I, I tend to find I need kind of decent blocks of time to write in. Um, and then the job is cutting out all the stuff that shouldn't be there in the first place right uh, this is going to sound terribly pretentious but i think it was michelangelo who's you know the job of a sculptor is to find the elephant inside the block of marble whatever mm-hmm. it is you kind of chip it all away it's, you know, it's quite simple really you just take away all the bits that aren't an elephant um yeah. wh- what you've got is an elephant um you know i take a hundred thousand words and ship away all the ones that shouldn't be there and i get a sixty thousand word novel um broadly speaking um and so that's the where an awful lot of the time goes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Guy, thank you for coming in today. And again, congratulations on winning the 2018 London Short Story Prize.
0: This podcast is a co production of Spread the Word and London College of Communication. This episode was hosted by Lauren Back and produced by Eleanor Austin and Ben Farmer. Intro by Ben Farmer. Our theme music is by Logo Loco.